Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandreau, the podcast for wine fanatics who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, we introduce you to a prominent woman and take a peek into her life and, of course, her favorite wines. I'm talking with Lindsay Hoops, who is featured in Wine Country Women of Napa Valley. Lindsay, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. And Michelle, thank you for creating the book and telling the story of all the women in wine country. I feel like it's about time that people realize there are a lot of women behind the brands that they know. Thank you for being appreciative of, of what what I've put together and, you know, the other initiatives that we've got on the horizon. So, um, but most importantly, I really appreciate your time today. I know how busy you are. So let's start talking about your life. Okay. You are a native Californian. Yes, I was born in San Francisco and then my family moved to Yauntville, Oakville. We're right on the border in 1981. I don't remember the move, but my father was stationed at the Presidio Army Base and got sick of the fog. He'd moved there from Fort Sill, Oklahoma and wanted to get back to the country, out of the fog, back to the land, back to farming, the things that he grew up around. And we ended up in Yauntville which was a very different place at the time, but he knew of the town because there was a veteran's home, and that's essentially how we ended up here. Well, Yauntville's a great town, has a lot of world-famous restaurants. Um, We are sitting in, literally, in the middle of your vineyard, (laughs) and right behind us is a beautiful house. You grew up at this house? I grew up on this property. If you were driving into this residence, you probably noticed the white farmhouse. And that actually is a um, over 100-year-old farmhouse. It used to be the fire station for the town of Yauntville. And the home that you're referring to was actually built as our original winery. And that was built in 1999. We were exclusively farmers from 81 until 99. And the vineyard that we're sitting in that you referenced is actually the oldest pre-phylloxera contiguous original vineyard in Napa Valley. And that's why these vines are so old. And the house is sitting on what used to be an olive orchard. And when my parents were much more established in their farming career and actually had been approached by some winemakers that wanted to use their name as a single vineyard designate, my parents decided to get into the wine production business business as opposed to just farming. And so this residence was actually built originally as a commercial property. The front was a production facility. Uh, We were going to have a tasting room. We have a big commercial kitchen and an entertainment space. You'll see it doesn't look inside so much like a house, but looks much more like what I think people would think of in a tasting room, except that my mother um, did live here and all of the design and architecture was actually her doing. So she designed it from top to bottom, gathered all of the interiors from all over the world, and this was really her final masterpiece. Well, it's spectacular and a great place to conduct a tasting. Absolutely. Um, But we're going to talk about your business in just a little bit. Let's talk about you and your life here in the Napa Valley. What is life like for you here? Or how, how how would you describe it? It's changed a lot over the years. I think growing up, I absolutely hated living in Napa Valley. Um, (laughs) Small town. It was a very small town, definitely much more traditionally a farming community. It still is, but there are a lot more amenities, a lot more tourism, a lot more hotels and activities than there were when I was growing up. Yauntville was 
a very tiny podunk town. We had a Hells Angels biker bar. We had maybe one fourth of the houses that are there now. We had absolutely no restaurants and we had a small sort of rickety shop and that was it. It was extremely affordable at the time and I couldn't drive obviously for most of my childhood. So really couldn't go and see my friends easily. I spent a lot of time just sort of wandering around Yountville Hill, <laughs> out to the creek, fishing, playing with animals. My parents used to joke that I came home with 8 million animals all the time, strays, cats, you name it, just because there really, in my mind, was nothing to do. So I was very excited to leave Napa. Um, I thought farming was sort of, you know, passe and it was all I knew and ended up going to college in a city in Washington, D.C. and just thought it was so vibrant and exciting of course, at that age, you know, that was really what I was looking for. Bars, right. restaurants, going out, meeting people. And you couldn't go farther farther away. <laughs> well, that was the idea. You know, I was like, I, I wanted to be as far away as possible. And I, of course, always really appreciated California for the weather, the amazing agriculture, the diversity of climate and topography. And I, I do think California to this day is the most beautiful place. But I think at the time I was seeking a little more adventure and excitement. Right. And so college was great. But I did move back here right after college and wanted to join part of the family business because I think being away really helped me appreciate the sort of breadbasket that California is in general, but also sort of how interesting my childhood was being in touch with nature and how things are grown. I mean, I met so many people who didn't realize that food was actually sort of an agricultural product and that there are people out there farming it and that's a, that's a career. So I started to appreciate what my family did more and Napa in general. I think it's always good when you leave and you come back, you always have a newfound appreciation. Absolutely. So and I, I think it was, that was, that was good for you. Yeah. And now Napa is attracting so many people from all over the world from winemakers who love the accessibility and the freedom of making wine in the new world versus the old world. You have chefs coming from all over the world just because of the quality of the produce. So the types of people coming have really changed. And I think it's a much more dynamic place because of what it offers also from a lifestyle perspective. So today, you know, being a mother with a young son and a family, it is definitely more my pace and it's a beautiful place to live. The weather's fantastic and you cannot beat the food. And of course, you know, making a product that people share in their most emotional and fun and exciting times really contributes to our lifestyle. I I love being a part of people's most important moments and making wine and sort of controlling it from vine to table um, is a unique experience. And so I'm very blessed to be here. There are very few places where you can do that. You live in Nirvana, <laughs> we'll say. Uh, I work- leave sometimes, you know, <laughs> a lot. Because yes, you do work on the road selling a great wine brand. Again, we're going to talk about in just a little bit. But let's talk about your life a little bit more here. I know you work hard and you you mentioned, you know, you, you do have a family. You have a little one and a great husband. What do you do for you? Do you have a hobby? Um, do you have... Do you carve out any time for you? What do you do? Yeah, most (laughs) recently, I would say that's been a little bit more challenging just because we've experienced some tremendous growth. And so a lot of me is going into building the next generation as the second generation proprietor. 
Um, I want to put my own fingerprint and I have my own vision for the winery that's requiring a lot of upfront investment. So it has been difficult, but my favorite things to do luckily are often intertwined with my job. I love to travel. I always have. I don't only like to go to wine growing regions. In fact, I'm quite an adventurous traveler. I love to go to places off the beaten track and I find every moment that I can to do that. I love I love food. I love cooking. So I love taking cooking classes, cooking with my husband, his family came from India and they do a lot of cooking within their family and owned a restaurant. So we do that as a couple and that's really uh, special. So, and now it's a lot of our free time is finding, you know, finding activities for our son Rohan and really sort of bringing back a lot of that fantasy and magic of childhood into our life. So crafts and, you know, creating experiences around the holidays. And that's been a lot of fun. You mentioned travel. What are some of your favorite countries that you've visited? I would have to say to live, Ireland is my absolute favorite place in the world. I've lived there three times. Oh my gosh. And interestingly enough, Ireland is one of the funny places. If you asked me to list my 10 favorite things, so sun, good food, good wine, you know, beaches, on and on, Ireland has none. So I've never been able to figure out exactly why the place (laughs) is so magical to me, but The minute I got off the plane when I was 19 years old and I actually was moving over there for a semester in college, I just fell in love with the people and it has become very much my second home. Most of my friends live there. I feel immediately at home when I get off the plane. Um, To travel though, I would say I have, I love India. Not, I wasn't actually introduced to India through my husband or his family I brought them back. My husband had not been since he immigrated when he was six years old. I made him go back because he had not experienced it as an adult and didn't have memories. But my mother used to travel there a good bit in her textile business. And so she would go and have things made and every opportunity I could have to go with her. I think it's such an assault of the senses. You have the brightest colors, you know, the riches, brightest gold, and then you have extreme poverty. But everyone always seems so happy. And there's this really interesting sort of different perspective on life and the cycle of time and an appreciation for everything. And I just think it's an amazing, amazing place. I love Italy. Just I think it's very similar to the lifestyle here in Napa. But, you know, obviously has a beautiful history as well that we don't necessarily have. I love the architecture, the food, and the sort of market-based, agricultural-based lifestyle. And I really resonate with that. And I guess I would say um, those are probably probably my top. Japan, I also love. love. Every time I go, I eat as much as possible, probably <laughs> eight meals a day. I just, oh my God, I'm always trying to try new things. And of course, in the wine business, our distributors are always trying to get us to go to steakhouses. And I'm like, no, I want sushi. <laughs> I want to go have ramen. Like, let's do a winemaker dinner around that. And, sure. you know, they think you want steak because you're from the States. And I'm like, no, I want to eat what you eat. But Kyoto, there's a, the Hoshinoya hotel in Kyoto. You take a boat to get there. And that was just one of the most surreal experiences. And just getting lost in the bamboo forest and going up into some of the villages. I I love Japan. And Tokyo is just otherworldly, just the lights and drama. Oh, 
I want to travel with you. Please do. <laughs> really? Really? Hey, anywhere you want to go. Seriously. So I have to ask, is there somewhere that you want to go that you haven't been yet? I think traveling is somewhat like a disease. The more you do it, the more you want. I, it, I feel like or an addiction, probably, I guess. I feel like you've been probably everywhere. I've been to 72 countries, <laughs> but that leaves, what, 100 and, you know, Oh, my God, you know? <laughs> Great. So, or no, I think 116 left to go. Oh, my goodness. I didn't even know. I don't need to go to all of them, no. I'm but sure. Is, what's, what's on the horizon? Where's a place that, that you haven't been that you want to go? My husband and I, for our very delayed honeymoon, are actually going in February to Tanzania to do a safari for nine days. And I've never done an African safari. I love animals. And so, you know, and one of the things I actually love that I probably should have mentioned before is I love rescuing animals. So the idea of, you know, going to these beautiful animal preserves really inspires me of course seeing animals I've never seen out in the wild and then we're going to do a trip to um Manemba Island which is you know also in Tanzania but in the resort area and we're going to go to the Seychelles so those are all new places for you yes super I can't wait to hear about those but anywhere you want to go I'll go (laughs) I'm I'm the easiest travel person I will go wherever oh I'm gonna hold you to that Want more on today's interview? Purchase Wine Country Women of Napa Valley. It's available on our website at winecountrywomen.com. Okay, so I have to ask, I've got to bring you back to Napa Valley, which is um, which is a great place. Um, but I love hearing about your travels. It's really, it's through your eyes, it's fascinating. We're here in Napa. You grew up here. You live here. Other than hoops, vineyards, wine, what do you drink at home? I wish I drank a lot more non-Napa wines, but generally speaking, most of the stuff that I drink is Oakville because those are my neighbors Mm -hmm. and we do a lot of wine swaps. So I think a lot of people would love to be at our dinner table. I probably take it too much for granted, but most of my friends um, live and work in Oakville and they've been my neighbors forever. So Turnbull, Zoe and I are amazingly good friends. And so I drink a lot of their wine. I, we used to grow um, for Opus. So we tend to get very favorable um, allotments of wine there. Oh, gosh. Um, McDonald. I love the McDonald family. They've been farming Tokelon for a long time. They do very limited production. Rosemary Cake Bread does an amazing wine. Gallica, very limited production. And another female winemaker. I do tend to find myself attracted to female winemakers generally. And I don't know if that's because I think there's a slightly more... um, I, I wouldn't say more... There is definitely a femininity in some wines that you can taste. Not all female winemakers make wine that way, and not all male winemakers make wine in a particularly aggressive style. But if I don't know, I tend to favor the more balanced, sort of silky, soft wines. And quite often, that tends to be some of the female winemakers up here. So wine. You're drinking wine at home. Oh, well, I love I love scotch. Oh, so okay. if it's if it's not wine, um, it's scotch. It's scotch. Okay. And Isla Scott, the peatier the better. I'm a peat monster. Okay. See, we learned something new about you, which was my next question. I wanted you. I was going to ask you if there was something 
that we might be surprised to learn about you that you could tell us about. But actually, you've already told us a lot of things. <laughs> Although, since I've said it, is there anything else that you can share that we might be surprised to know? Wow. I guess, well, when I was young, I was an actress and I used to sing. So I was a semi-finalist on Star Search. Oh. When I was quite young, which is a little bit hilarious because it was a long time ago. But I thought I was going to be, you know, the next Whitney Houston. I sang Bette Midler's The Rose. Oh, my goodness. And then I used to audition. I auditioned for a number of movies. Never made any, even in the chorus. But, hey, I tried. And then I ended up going to law school and became a homicide prosecutor. Right, which we're about ready to talk about now. (laughs) Okay, well, you surprised me yet again with the star search. And you're a singer, so now I'm going to have to put you on the spot. Not not today. Well, remember, I didn't really ever make it anywhere, <laughs> so I'm not <laughs> sure anyone agreed I was a singer. Well, I think you're probably a singer. Come on. Um, you made it on the show. The shower doesn't kick me out, so. Well, that's good. <laughs> We'd really be in trouble. But let's talk about your career. First job ever. First paying job. Do you remember it? I think my first paying job was probably definitely as a babysitter, but I have always pretty much been in let's say hospitality all through high school I actually well I taught English um, in high school and I taught courses about American civics for people trying to pass their citizenship exam but to make money I always worked in restaurants so first as a hostess then as a waitress and then as a bartender as I sort of developed my career so I had to pay for college and law school and I ended up putting myself through school effectively as an intern throughout the day doing the, my sort of passionate jobs that didn't pay and then in the evenings working in bars and restaurants okay I swear to God you just keep amazing me left and right as you already mentioned you were a prosecutor your career progressed. <laughs> you studied law. Uh, you became a prosecutor. Uh, we talked earlier that you were a prosecutor in San Francisco. Tell us about that, and then talk about the turning point in your career to come come back to work for your family wine wine brand. Sure. Well, when I was five years old for Take Your Daughter to Work Day, I thought that being a district attorney was an FBI agent. I was a little confused. And I remember the teachers were trying to help pair children with parents that did their ultimate career. And of course, you know, female parents, the whole idea was take your daughter to work day um, to help empower women in Mm -hmm. the career world. And my mom was a fashion designer at the time and everyone wanted to go to work with her. But of course, I wanted to be what I thought was an FBI agent. So I pointed to the TV and I kept telling my mom, this is what I want to do. And it turned out it was a district attorney. And one of the children in our school, her mother actually did work for the district attorney's office. And I remember the visit as though it were yesterday. We went into the drug lab and I watched them doing all the chemical analysis. And I remember walking into court and watching the judge and the attorneys. And I just, from that point on, I just always wanted to be a district attorney. But I guess I didn't know anybody really growing up in law or in that field. I didn't really know anybody in law enforcement specifically. And so it never really felt like an attainable dream, even though it wasn't, I didn't feel like I couldn't get in there, but I just didn't know how you really made that transition. 
And I always just expected to work with my family and I always expected to come back to our family business. And that felt like that's just what I was supposed to do. So when I left college and came home and sort of announced to my father that I was going to work with him, he said, well, why would I hire you? You have absolutely no work experience and you made the biggest mistake growing up that you sort of thought that farming was insignificant. And so I'm going to tell you that to make good wine, you have to grow good grapes. And so even though you make wine, your most important job is actually farming. And if you don't like farming, you're in the wrong business, lady. So he didn't hire me. And I ended up working for a very large winery in based in the Central Valley and was very appreciative of the opportunity. They have a an amazing training program and I learned so much about the industry but what I also learned is that very few people do what we do which is small boutique production farm to table production organic sustainable management a lot of what I was doing was selling brands that aren't tethered to a specific family story a specific brand story a specific space terroir it's more about a brand and they are unbelievable at selling brands but that's not what I wanted to do I wanted to tell our family story and I wanted to tell a story and I really wanted to be proud of what was in the bottle and sell something that I really believed in as a product so I came back and I said dad I think I've learned the story that you wanted me to learn he said you know I really think you should get out of Napa and go try something else because honestly People up here just assume that they're going to follow into these particular footsteps, but maybe that isn't the right path for them. And so I want you to leave so that you come back on your own accord as opposed to just doing it by sort of knee-jerk reaction. So I got a little bit fed up because I didn't like working in most of the jobs that were available. Small family companies are run by small families, and there wasn't a lot of space in the type of business I wanted to work in. So I got a call. My law score was about to expire. And I said, well, if I don't go now, I'll probably never go. And I just sort of said, well, you know what? If I hate it, that's fine, but I'll give it a go. So I ended up enrolling in law school. I think I showed up. I'd never paid my tuition. I showed up the day and said like, oh, played dumb that, you know, I just (laughs) literally up until the final moment, I hadn't decided to leave. And I enrolled. Um, Of course, the career counselor there told me I would never get a job in the San Francisco DA's office. It's where everybody wants to work. They don't hire anybody right out of college, blah, blah, blah. And of course, um, I sent a a letter directly to Kamala Harris. I basically got hired immediately and it started, you know, the career of honestly my dreams. I worked for the DA's office. I had a very unique specialization. So I was thrown in to the deep end pretty early on. I had the most amazing experience working on cold hit cases because I became the first published author in admitting old DNA evidence and forensic evidence when you don't have a lot of the witnesses alive or available to testify. And there was a huge shift in that area of law while I was in law school. So ironically, I became sort of the California specialist and was helping guide our office, despite the fact they had so much more experience in that field um, from the beginning. So I, I just, I literally had the most amazing career. And I think, to be honest with you, There are a lot more similarities to telling your brand story and telling your family story and being a trial attorney than people appreciate because you are dealing with people day in, day out of all different educational and demographic backgrounds. And so you learn how to communicate to very different listeners across the board. But you're also 
my main job in producing wine is helping people connect to our story. So our brand, what we do, understanding why it's different and understanding what makes us special too, not just different. And in trial work, what we were always doing is helping people connect to a moment in time that they didn't witness to people that they couldn't relate to, didn't even know. As my mentor used to say, when a play is cast in hell, you don't have angels for actors. So we were trying to help people understand why they should care and why they needed to make these very important decisions and also help them see a picture, a story, by connecting all this evidence and creating a scene. And that's exactly what we do with wine, obviously in a much more positive format, but it is helping people see beyond the label and understand what's in the bottle and connect with it. And that's actually what I learned at the DA's office. So ironically, um, I think I, you know, got to cut my teeth in a very different context, but you know, there are similarities. Absolutely. Well, let's get you here to hoops. Yeah. So you eventually your father let you come (laughs) work here. Well, not really, actually, ironically, he ended up, um, falling very ill. He almost passed away about six years ago and was hospitalized with an unknown condition and was essentially in a coma. And I had to take a leave of absence from work. I was still working at the district attorney's office in San Francisco and had a number of cases that were very high profile that I continued to work on. But And I didn't want to leave, actually, but he needed my help. Once he had an organ transplant, they determined that they could not reverse whatever illness he had. They still have never diagnosed it. Then he was effectively needing full-time care. And as an only child, and he's unmarried, I was the person responsible for doing that. So I, throughout that process, which was about a nine-month or ten-month process, I actually was running the business, educating myself by myself. We weren't, we didn't have a transition. My father is an old school farmer, did not have standard operating procedures. He didn't have anything well filed on the computer. He didn't have a record of anything, or at least not one that I could find. So I had to teach myself how he was running the business that day. He'd gotten into winemaking, not just grape growing, and I'd never grown up around the winemaking component. So that was a completely new process. I had to build a new team to make the wine because my father had been responsible for that. I had to find a new vineyard management team because my father had been responsible for that. And that was literally just going out there and asking all of my friends in the industry, what would you do? Who would you talk to? Who would you hire? I don't even know what I'm doing. And then at the end, uh, my father sort of looked at me and said, well, you know, I'm better now, but I really think I'd like to bucket list and spend some time golfing and fishing and skiing. And maybe this is a sign that I should retire. So... I actually had sort of taken over the business while he was in a coma, and then he decided never to come back. So (laughs) that's how I made my way back. Um, I had to make the really tough decision as to whether or not I wanted to go back to the DA's office and sell our business because as an only child, there really was no one else to come in, or if I wanted to see what I could do with it. And I think because it's home, I grew up here, it's a family legacy, it's also my ability to provide or sort of to pass on this legacy to the next generation. The DA's office isn't really that type of career. And I'm so connected to this property that um, that was, that really made my decision. And it's been a very interesting ride. But, you know, I think long-term, everything that I've been able to build and grow 
is mine and it's a reflection of the fundamentals and foundation of my father and my mother and then it's also something that my son can grow up with and carry on if he wants to and that's just creating a business like that is very different than you know going into court and sort of advocating for this intangible justice which is amazing and it's very rewarding but it's not it doesn't have that same core in your family and in the land well and and there is a family story yes that you get to tell and and um, very authentic I mean we've been here for a lot of the transition in Napa Valley and this is really you know our blood sweat and tears and as a farmer you learn to sort of you know you're beholden to mother nature you are only as good as the energy and effort that you put into it and so the end product is rewarding not just because you've done a good job but because you've really worked for it and it's a reflection of you and your family so let's talk about hoops how much wine do you make of our hoops brand we have expanded pretty interestingly I think so we make about 5,000 cases total Mm -hmm. but a lot of our wine comes from our old estate vineyard and our yields are declining and we have no interest in replanting because this is an old vine vineyard and represents the oldest Cabernet available in the valley so our goal is really to sort of keep this heritage alive as long as possible the vineyard will allow us to do that but we've expanded into taking some of this and planting or you know budding over some of these older vineyards that we've managed for many years into newer vines right behind us so we produce primarily Cabernet and we have launched a small production lot series where we've partnered with some of our favorite vineyards outside of our region our Mm -hmm. estate in Oakville generally there are vineyards that Anne and Jen are two winemakers we're entirely female run and operated by the way um Anne and Jen over the years have worked for a number of different wineries and worked in a number of different vineyards and so what we did is we actually buy very small quantities of fruit to make about a hundred case lots of some of these special varieties that are only available from the wineries. So we now have released a Sauvignon Blanc, a Cabernet Rosé, a Merlot, a Syrah, and a Chardonnay. And all of those are maximum 150 cases from all over the valley, but places that were significant in Ann and Jen's careers. That's exciting. And only available if you come taste here. If you come taste here, join the wine club or yes. You must visit. I mean, seriously, if you don't come visit, you're missing out because it is a spectacular place to be. So on that note, how can people acquire your wine? The best way is to schedule a tasting. Definitely schedule a tasting. We are available in Napa Valley. We Mm -hmm. also have a new tasting room under construction. So we're hopefully going to be able to accommodate even more people in the near future. It's still a small facility, but we purchased eight additional acres in Yachtville. And we're going to have another estate product from there with a farm. We have pygmy goats and chickens and and an annual garden. So it'll be a really interesting site for people to visit. But the website um, we www.hoopsvineyard.com. I know this is appointment only. Will that property be appointment only as well? If I can convince the city planner to give us more freedom, then no. But I think today all new licenses are effectively appointment only. Okay. okay. But call us and, you know, appointments can be scheduled last minute. There's no restriction on that. And if 
anyone wants some of those small production wines, are they able to join your allocation list or your membership and order those? Yes, of course. You took an interesting path into the wine business. What advice would you give someone who wants to enter into the wine business? Well, I think it's important to understand that fundamentally the wine business is an agricultural business and so appreciating agriculture is the most important part so i would recommend that anybody work a harvest even if you don't think that you want to be in the actual winemaking or farming side i think it's very important to understand that and so work a harvest volunteer in any capacity And be willing to do anything to really understand what the product is that you're ultimately going to sell. Because if you don't understand the product, and of course, again, the fact that it is so tied to Mother Earth and the temperature and the climate and where it's grown, you're not really going to effectively understand how to communicate your brand story or even the story of what's inside the bottle. But beyond that, I think the business is so complex that people from a variety of different backgrounds can find a space in the wine industry. So there's opportunity for people who've marketed any product to come in and build a marketing program for certain companies. There's opportunity to do finance within the wine business. It's, it is a business. But to that end, it's not just hanging out, eating great food and drinking wine. It is actually a business and it is a lot of hard work. It requires a lot of travel intense travel. I used to spend about 300 days on the road until I had my son. And it is carpetbag selling and that you go door to door to restaurant to restaurant because no one is going to sell your product but you. And you can make the most amazing wine, but if you cannot sell it, you have no business being in this industry. Right. I think I think there's a, a big misconception sometimes that people think, oh, I want to go work in Napa Valley. All you do is drink wine and, and uh, nosh on bonbons, right? <laughs> no, I will tell you it is exponentially harder than being a homicide prosecutor. I mean, I agree. I agree. I, it's a lot harder. But I think some people have the misconception that, that we don't work very hard here, right? And I think your story alone is, is a great example. And I think your advice to encourage people to, to volunteer, to work a harvest, to really get an inside look at what it takes to create wine is great advice. Before you take that leap and think that moving here is all fun and games, and there's great parts of living here, you know, there's a lot of enjoyment to be had, but there's a lot of hard work too. That being said, let's get to five quick questions with Lindsay. Now, the thought here is that you do not think about the answers, just answer the questions. Ready? Sure. Well, hopefully. <laughs> let's see how I do on the spot. Who is your favorite music group? You two. The last magazine you read? Hello, the British tabloid. Okay. It was about the royal wedding. <laughs> what kind of car do you drive? I actually don't have a car, but if I drive, it is the truck from the vineyard or our Audi. I figured my husband can drive me around. I like that answer. What's the weirdest thing in your purse right now? Well, I have a 14-month-old, so who knows? It's usually some errant Cheerio or you know diapers and a bottle that's spilling all over the bottom of my bag. 
Okay, last question. Name one, and I know there'll be many, but name one favorite restaurant in the Napa Valley. Wow, that's tough. Gosh, I think for all around sort of experience with family, which is a huge focus for us right now, it's Farmstead. They have outdoor seating, a nice happy hour. They have a fireplace, so for evenings, warm daytimes. And then it's it's casual but amazingly good food that's farm to table, and so it's easy to bring our son. There's so many amazing dining experiences, but right now we can't necessarily take Rohan, so that's sort of where we like to go. There you go. Lindsay, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. Thank you for tuning in to listen and learn about the women featured in our lifestyle books and involved in our business. Share these episodes on your social media platforms so more people can learn about Wine Country Women. Visit our website at winecountrywomen.com to join our list and be the first to learn about exclusive offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new episode of Wine Country Women.